welcome to PodSpot, the UK's only HubSpot-themed podcast. It's a bi-weekly look at the latest updates from HubSpot with practical hints and tips directly from the mouths of HubSpot users and partners. Welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Kerry, PR and Digital Engagement Manager here at Carmen Digital, and today we're delving into microservices. What are they and how do they interact with HubSpot? Here with me to chat about this is John Pitton, Managing Director at Carmen Digital. So welcome back, John. It's nice to have you back on. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Kerry. Thank you for inviting me back. No, my pleasure. I'm excited to uh, to learn a lot more about microservices. This is not one that I know a whole lot about. So um, I'm going to be definitely handing over to you for a lot of this podcast. <laughs> well, fingers crossed you might learn something, but we, we shall see. Let, let's, yeah. let's save that judgment to the end, shall we? Yeah, exactly. Ask me again at the end. Um, so I guess, yeah, let's start off with a nice, easy one and go back to the beginning. So can you tell us all a bit about microservices and what they are? Yeah, sure. I, I guess um, I guess let's just sort of reflect back on sort of traditionally the way that software and systems have been built. So we kind of talk about microservices as an architecture. And before microservices came along, uh, there was sort of what we call monolithic architecture. So that was if you were building a, a piece of software, a tool, an application to do something in the business, um, that that would be built within sort of uh, pretty tight constraints. It would be an on-premise server and it would all be, be built within there, et cetera. Um, they tended to be more complex. You know, the code base was really far, far reaching because it, it kind of did everything. Um, so this whole monolith architecture was everything grouped together, a uh, broad range of code doing lots of different functions, all interconnected within a kind of single framework or single installation, if you like. Um, those would have limited APIs, limited ability to connect with third-party applications. So that was sort of the old way. I guess what we've seen now with the advent of the cloud and uh, sort of APIs is this this sort of new architecture being talked about, which is which is microservices architecture, and that is pretty much the way that individual. Uh, tools, I guess, or application pieces of software are kind of built and they're ring fenced from any other part of the application, but then they are connected via APIs. So if you like, if you've got a job to do rather, and, and that job is uh, manufacture, produce and distribute widgets, rather than building one system that did the whole thing, what you do is build lots of different little modules, if you like, and connect them all together to do that, to, to get that end outcome. And that is this kind of microservices approach. So sometimes those microservices might be built in-house by the organization. Sometimes they might be third-party applications. I mean, in the, in I guess, in a, a, a use case for this would be the way that you might connect HubSpot with Xero. So Xero is the finance package, uh, HubSpot uh, and billing. HubSpot is quotes and sales, et cetera. You connect the two together to give a better outcome. So there's they're not really microservices because they're far more, more sophisticated than that, but you can see how they connect together to get a better outcome. Yeah, very nice. And I, I have to admit, I learned a new word there, mono, monolithic. I've never heard that yeah. before. How, how have monolithic. I not? Monolithic, yeah. dated and, and old, and, you know, <laughs> monolithic architecture. Yeah, yeah. The old way. Yeah. The old way. Great. So, so that's a really nice summary of kind of what they are and what you can do with them. But I guess like in terms of, you know, businesses or people that might be listening that want to start looking into microservices, how can they actually help a business? So I guess in in a number of ways, and, and and I would arguably say one of the most important is is they enable a business to change relatively rapidly to to sort of the traditional way. Um, 
So imagine, you know, and we and we've seen that happen, whether it be uh, through the pandemic or or new markets and and, and new inco- new new entrance to new markets, business having to change quite rapidly, change more than they ever have before. If you are building your, if you like, uh, capability in a sort of microservices architecture kind of way, you're able to add functionality, take functionality away in terms of the business process in a much quicker and more rapid way than you ever could before. If you've got a single system that's completely dependent on all the other parts of that system and you want to change something, it can become really quite painful. Whereas with microservices, because the dependency um, isn't so so tight, you can take some of those services away and deploy new ones very quickly. So actually it enables a business to change quite rapidly. also, there tends to be a lower cost of development because what you're doing is you are just building one small piece of functionality and connecting it to the wider system. So what you're not trying to do is to, to change the whole system um, and do some sort of recoding that might have implications for all other parts of that system. All you're doing is, is kind of coding a small piece, uh, a small application or a service and then plugging it, plugging it in. So actually, um, there's a lower cost of development. Also within the business, you've got this idea of team autonomy. So, you know, if you think about a business process from cradle to grave, you might have the finance team wanting to do something. There's a bit of friction in their process. They want to change something in relation to pricing or whatever, and that needs to plug into the wider system. Well, if that's used built using a, a microservices approach, that can be done without sales needing to know or operations needing to know and just plugged in. Whereas in the old old way, in sort of that, that sort of... Um, monolithic architecture way, that that plug-in, that, that piece of work for finance might have implications on other departments, et cetera. Whereas under uh, microservices, you can be quite autonomous about development. Um, I mean, there's other things like it reduces downtime on uh, uh, fault isolation because because all these little services, if you like, are rings fenced in their own right, it's very easy to pick up where errors might be. Whereas actually, if you've got a much more sort of uh, system that's, that's more deeply connected, then it's much more difficult to, to isolate problems and faults. So yeah, and, and, and equally, smaller code base for each of these services, it's much easier to understand. So you can bring developers in who can just work on a small area without having to know everything else that's going on in the system because that's a big challenge historically is that you know to make a change to the system you probably need to know all the implications of that change across the whole system so you need to have knowledge much broader knowledge than you would within a a microservices approach so so lots of benefits i guess kerry yeah i know gosh you were really listing them off there but i think it just goes to show how much of a difference it can make in in a lot of different areas and i really like that point about you know the autonomy and not having to, you know, notify other teams and affect other teams' work by just being able to quickly update things and and again, you know, be able to be able to rapidly change. I think that's such an important thing, especially in the current climate as well. So, really good points there. And I guess, I mean, if we go back to microservices and starting to implement them, how are they actually kind of built and developed? Is there a process for that? Is there something that you know people listening could go away and learn about? Like how how does that process begin? Well, I guess a variety of ways, but but really, if we think about the method for developing microservices, it's no different to any other method for process re-engineering or, or looking at, at starting out on an agile basis in relation to software development. You know, identify the need, do discovery, scope, et cetera, and just really build the parameters for that piece of work. Um, I guess that's the starting point in terms of, of how uh, microservices are built. So so what's the need fundamentally? Um, it You know, and then actually the microservice can be delivered 
delivered in a number of ways. You know, different languages can be used, whether it be Java or Python or, or Node.js, whatever it might be. Um, equally, you know, we've seen a prevalence and the emergence of low-code and no-code tools, which allow people to build out these, if you like, microservices and plug them into tools like HubSpot. So that's a really nice way to have people who might not be core developers build out functionality, build out solutions that integrate with the CRM um, that really reduce the friction in the in the process or re-engineer a process for that business and, and achieve a great outcome. So, um, you know, so so these low-code tools can be used to build um, and, and develop microservices. So lots of different ways, but but it's all about just really understanding what the need is, isolating that. And, and really, I would argue also uh, taking that need down to a, a smaller requirement as possible um, because that way you can build from there rather than go, oh, we need to re-engineer this whole process, split it out into different uh, constituent parts and build those as separate microservices. Yeah, don't try and fix the whole, I guess. Try and focus on a few different areas and, and focus on that at the start because you can't achieve everything with just one quick, simple fix, unfortunately. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Work on the priorities. Yeah. And when you say low code, no code, does that mean that kind of the coding's already pretty much done for you, I guess, from my perspective, I'm not a developer and I have absolutely no idea what code is <laughs> other than the CSS and HTML. I think that's as far as my knowledge goes. It's dark arts, Kerry. Coding <laughs> is dark arts, okay? I, I'm not a developer, so, you, you know, I, I, I just watch what the, the magic that these guys do and and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm none the wiser. Uh, but no, I guess low-code, no-code tools, they allow, um, they allow you to build things without having that developer knowledge. Um, and, you know, a good example of that, I guess, in some ways, is something like Zapier or Zapier, whereby, you, you know, you can connect two platforms together without development knowledge because two platforms have APIs and there's a there's a kind of a bit of a plug and play, a bit of drag and drop in terms of connecting those together. So it's a similar sort of thing. So, you know, we use um, we use a couple of platforms, but one called NA10, which we really like, which is a bit like a, it's like building a flow chart. It's a bit like fl building a flow chart and you can just drag these, what they call nodes in, to do different things. And actually, you don't need a huge amount of development knowledge to be able to make some quite clever stuff happen um, and, and connect two systems together. Yeah. See, it, lo it looks wonderfully easy for us using those systems, but the, those poor developers on the other end that had to put all that stuff together, <laughs> they probably Completely. disagree. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I guess like I think it would be quite nice to maybe touch on some examples of things you've seen when microservices have been used and they've been really effective. Is there anything that you've particularly seen that you've really liked? Yeah, I guess I guess we've got a couple of examples where we've implemented um, uh, sort of a, a microservice to support the process, which fundamentally is built on HubSpot and another ERP for a manufacturing business. So, um, one of the challenges they had is that um, they are a global business, so they sell uh, globally in different currency, and their quotes are created in different languages. Um, and one of the things that we wanted to do is to use a single template, a proposal template. Um, that based on the deal criteria would then pull the the language into that quote based on the product that's being selected. So so and the products themselves they were multifaceted etc. So it's quite complex to some extent. And there were some limitations around HubSpot's quote functionality to actually bring in that that different language. So what we've actually done is we've created a platform whereby they have a single point of reference for describing uh, their products. Um, and about the business and, and actually to the point that we use different imagery 
in those quotes depend on which region they're in. And basically that's built outside of HubSpot. But when someone goes to sort of produce a quote, um, then it will look up, it will use the API within the um, within HubSpot to look at a, a deal field, which will then say, oh, this, this client is based in South America or this prospect based in South America, pull all this data in to populate the quote. Um, and that's a good example of a microservice. So it, it, it's a, a, an application that's built outside of HubSpot that's allow HubSpot's functionality to go further than, than, than it can do uh, on its own. A, a good example as well, actually, for a, a similar client is um, they price differently by region. So, um, and they want to be able to, or they've got a price book within HubSpot, they want to be able to change the pricing almost on a daily basis. So we've built an application with, or a microservice that allows them to, to go in on a daily basis and just put um, sort of algorithms or just adjust prices to uplift or, or or reduce prices based on certain factors, and then that just applies across the whole uh, quotes function and product function within HubSpot. So it allows them to control prices. So if there's a, a huge demand over in the US, they can arguably um, increase prices because they can make more margin, et cetera. And again, they might well be influenced by exchange rates in terms of that, that price manipulation. So it allows them to get a better outcome um, by developing functionality that isn't available in HubSpot. Um, I think actually a lot of uh, microservices are used to uh, undertake data manipulation, particularly where you're trying to connect two platforms together and they might not naturally talk to each other and there might be need, the, the need to change some of the data coming from one platform so that it presents and, uh, in, and can be imported into the other platform quite easily. Um, and, and that's what microservices can be used for, a lot of this data manipulation stuff. I, I mean, actually, HubSpot can do some of this stuff itself now with the operations hub. So, you know, a really good use case they talk about is capitalizing first and last name. So, you know, if you've got contact records, they're actually you, now you can you can sort of code within the operations hub to look at all the contact records and say if the capital letter doesn't exist for the first name, give it a capital letter. So uh, that would be an example of Microsoft, but but that actually is available within HubSpot directly so yeah it's um, a couple of examples there i guess yeah lots of very um handy automation i would say just things getting done without you really having to worry about it and you can put that strategy in place and know exactly what kind of changes you want to make but you only really need to set that up once and then it kind of just does it for you which i imagine is very nice for a lot of people <laughs> I, I, I mean there is it, it's a bit sort of there's no limits to where this can go now yeah uh, you, you know we've we've got whether it be auto publishing to social media channels or creating images on the intranet or you, you know that the, you know if the if the business case is there then actually using microservices tends to be a much lower cost way of of creating that solution than a traditional way which was you, you know kind of a, a lengthy development process uh, within a kind of monolithic architecture setup. Yeah, and I think one, one thing I really like about HubSpot, you can achieve a lot with HubSpot, but I think they've, they're very honest and open about the fact that, you know, you can connect microservices and external third-party things to really improve the general software and make it work for you as a business. They're not kind of the type of business that we're like, no, you can achieve everything with us. They're very open about the fact that you can do this kind of stuff and make it work for you. Yeah, hundred percent, and and that's the benefit of of you know modern platforms that are built with open API and and allow developers to really start to do some some clever stuff, and and you know HubSpot's a great example of that. Yeah, definitely. So I guess you know for people that are listening or a company that's thinking about microservices, what can they do? How can they kind of think about building or developing them for their own company? Um, 
I think there's a number of factors at play or things to, to that they need to think about. Um, I think one important one, actually, that, that we've come across on a number of occasions is the culture of the business. So, you know, is the business um, aligned to be able to build out microservices? And I, and I kind of mean that from an IT infrastructure, from a risk management perspective, because there are still some organizations that are built on this, you know, everything on premise. Um, you know, we don't like cloud. We don't like to use APIs because of the security and, and the risk around that. And there is a risk around that, but obviously those risks can be managed effectively. So I think that there is a bit of a battle if you are if if the mindset of the organization, I guess, in relation to its DevOps and the way that it builds its its IT services and solutions uh, isn't quite aligned to this way of thinking. Um, I think also in terms of you know what they should be thinking about, it's it's really to identify in the same way as we do when we deploy HubSpot as a CRM. What's the business need? You know, what's the business case for this? What what problem will it solve? Um, if there's a use case there, you know, can it be solved within HubSpot? And we have seen this before where people have tried to you know, come to us to talk about building something outside of HubSpot. Well, actually, HubSpot could do that. You know, you could get really clever with the workflows and suddenly you can you can actually just use HubSpot to do it rather than have to build something separately. But I do think that there needs to be real clarity around what's the what's the business case and what's the challenge that's trying to be addressed. And 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 doing the discovery and insight on that is 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 the probably the best starting point if you're going to go down this route. And I think the other thing also is is um, you know, selecting the right partner to to work with, because you know, if you're looking to build on a platform like HubSpot, um, and you know what your business need is, um, you've got to be careful that you know you might go to a partner that might build or code in a more traditional way, and therefore create, if you like, a a, a piece of software, an application that is ten times more bloated than it needs to be from a code perspective. So I think that there is a a need now to start looking at what solutions are available, low-code, no-code solutions, which can save a lot of time and effort rather than invest really heavily in in a traditional developer that might might build out something that takes weeks to build and costs a fortune, whereas it could be done in in, in a few days uh, using a low-code or no-code tool. So just understanding what needs to be achieved and, and who's best placed to um, deliver that for the client, I think, is really important. Yeah, really good points there. And I like the the one you made about culture, because I guess, you know, you mentioned before microservices can can help you be kind of really rapid to change. But I guess as a company, you have to have that culture that you're open to that change and you want to kind of welcome it and and change things up rather than just kind of take the back foot, I guess. So, um, yeah, I, I really like that point. You, I guess it, it needs that kind of whole team or company buy in, I guess, to, to really be on board with it to make it effective. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I do think that there is mindset change required in some organizations in relation to the uh, traditional way that they've built and developed software. Um, some of those, some of those issues and challenges are, are very relevant, you know, particularly security and risk management, et cetera. But, you know, an openness to embrace new ways of uh, creating capability in the organization, I think is, is really important for a business. Yeah, I guess we've all been there when, you know, there's, a company has been established for a while and there's, you know, really traditional, we've always done it this way kind of thinking. And it, it is hard to kind of step out of that that mindset and, and change things up. And it doesn't mean you have to kind of revolutionize and change your business overnight. It can be like step by step. But um, yeah, I definitely agree, you know, changing and, and coming away from that traditional mindset is super important. So yeah, great points there. So, so I guess, you know, we've talked about the process and how to think about microservices and how you can potentially develop them. But I guess, 
you know, the question that's always on people's mind is, is the financial side. So I guess what kind of investment do you think is required to start to build out microservices? I know it's a difficult question and it probably differs based on what kind of microservices a business is trying to bring in, but, but what would your kind of overarching thoughts on finance when it comes to microservices be? Uh, how long's a piece of string, isn't it? I mean, that <laughs> is such a difficult question to answer. Um, I think the important piece in relation to this is not to, um, uh, I guess, not to skirt over and not spend time and resource on the discovery and really understanding where the pain points lie to, to sort of, uh, to then think about what, what the solution could be. Um, I also then think that from a cost perspective, uh, contingency always needs to build, be built into pricing. So, you know, what on the face of it, and this is when you're talking about development, what on the face of it might look pretty straightforward. You know, we're looking to connect two systems together, do some data manipulation um, and, and, and have a two-way sync. That might seem really straightforward. But actually, when you get into the nuts and bolts of trying to get systems to talk to each other, particularly those that are kind of, you know, probably more legacy or historic uh, incumbents within the organization, it can become particularly challenging. And this this idea that you really don't know what the challenges are until you get into the project is, is incredibly common um, when you're dealing with legacy platforms. So I think that that this idea of contingency is, is a really important one. Unless you're using a, a sort of um, already very familiar uh, sort of um, platforms that connect tools together. For example, you know, you're using Zapier to connect uh, MailChimp to HubSpot, then, you know, that's fine. That That's kind of relatively straightforward. Um, but if it's not proven, if it hasn't done before, then issues will probably arise. Okay, so just be ready for those and therefore the unexpected costs that might come with with trying to resolve those. Yeah, contingency is always one. I think it just in daily life, I think we should always have contingency. But I guess it it kind of refers back to your point about mindset, I suppose, and just being realistic and open to the fact that, okay, we might not be able to stick directly to this number. It may change a little bit depending on, on what happens. But I guess, again, it's just making sure that you're realistic with those expectations. Yeah, 100%, definitely. So great. We've talked about... Um, you know, the, the positives and, and what microservices can, can do for businesses. But I guess on the flip side, what are the risks or I guess where do you see the problems in relation to building out these applications? Uh, yeah, and there's certainly a few that, that must be considered. Um, you know, one, security. You know, if you are, you know, if you're managing something on premise, if you're managing something uh, within a pretty secure environment that you have complete control over, uh, then uh, that's more manageable. As soon as you are opening up uh, your platform, your systems, your operation to third party tools via API or any other method, uh, then security becomes uh, increasingly important to consider. Um so, so I think security is there. I, I mean, there are and, and can't be undermined that you know anything you do, you just need to make sure it's secure and and there's no vulnerability, etc. Um, I also think that because you know building out microservices, you're using the cloud uh, to get things together. Then you know there's a reliance on network uptime and capability. Um, you, you know you can get some latency sometimes, and so it's just something to be considered in relation to to you know having. Different applications talk to each other across the cloud. That's what's happening as opposed to, you know, being on the one server. Um, 
I think what well, one thing we've 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 mentioned in terms of the risks. I, I think there is the risk of corporate culture. You know, if the if the if the company isn't ready to embrace this, then I think it's a risk to uh, embark on a, a program of building out microservices where you'll just come up against roadblocks and roadblocks and roadblocks uh, through the risk management team or IT or whatever it might needs to, or whatever department it might be. So you need to be really careful about that. Um, and I think one of the other risks, which actually I, I sort of referred to in the last question, was um, you know uh, connecting with legacy systems. In that um, it might seem straightforward, but actually only when you start to get into the development itself can the problems sort of be visible uh, to development teams. And, and some of those uh, may be insurmountable. I don't, I don't know, but but that just you know when you're when you're jumping in to develop stuff a little bit blind, you've you've got to be really careful. Uh, and there's a risk of um, you, you know sinking a lot of cash and not really getting a return from the investment. Yeah. So I guess my final question is, you know, the future of microservices, where do you see kind of future use cases and how do you think the requirement for microservices will grow in the future? Um, well, I think it's pretty certain that the requirement will grow. Um, you know, the new way, uh, you know, no piece of software is really developed now without APIs and the ability to connect it with others. So so any new software being built is built thinking we're going to need to connect to other stuff at some point in some way. So that is happening. So organizations that don't start to think about that in terms of their uh, their strategy and their planning are going to fall behind. So um, there's, a, there's this massive increase in the availability of the APIs, which will enable more business capability. So that is going to continue, um, um, you know, and that's not going to slow down at all. Um, I think we are going to see an increase in the number of low-code, no-code tools. So the ability for non-developers or people who aren't, you know, uh, haven't got 20 years experience with Java or whatever it might be, being able to do development work that was probably beyond them before. Well, not necessarily development work, but be able to deliver solutions that might have taken someone with 10 years more experience than them to do historically. So I think that's going to be really interesting. And those tools also allow people to deploy things much quicker and test things much quicker. So that's only going to grow. Um, I think we're going to see a changing culture, corporate culture, you know, recognizing that microservices architecture is is for the future rather than a sort of monolithic approach. I think there are some sectors that might be slower to adopt than others. You know, financial services, heavily regulated, uh, the medical profession, et cetera, might uh, be slower than others. Um, and, and probably for all the right reasons. Um, but we are going to see a change in culture, I think. Um, I also think we're going to see an increase in DevOps. Um, so development operations, you know, this idea that organizations are starting to look at, you know, their practices and tools that increases their ability to, to deliver these additional services, these digital services that are so important to businesses now. So the increase in use of DevOps as a, as, as a sort of core capability in the business will become really, really important. You know, we're looking at, you know, there's DevOps jobs being created all over the place at the moment within organizations as they just really understand that digitizing and building out these services in, the, in their business is so important to being successful. Yeah, definitely. I think DevOps is probably a term that's not known very much at the moment, but I imagine in five years time, everyone's going to know what DevOps is for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Yeah. Great. Well, uh, well, that brings us to the end of another episode. Thank you for your time, John. It's been a pleasure. And I'm sure our listeners will be looking at ways that they can bring microservices into their own businesses. So thanks again for joining me today. Thanks, Gary. So, so the question is, do, do you now know what microservices are after that, what was it, 20 minute conversation with me? I do. I could probably have a conversation with someone after this and give them a bit of an overview of what they are. So I think that is, you know, achievement well done. Um, I'll tick the box thank you so if you also enjoyed this episode and can also have a discussion about microservices then please share it with your friends and colleagues and let us know your thoughts on social media you can tag us at Carmen Digital or if you're loving the podcast then go ahead and let us know by leaving a podcast review if you want to make sure you never miss an episode you can subscribe by heading to bit.ly forward slash podspot podcast and I'll see you next time thanks for listening